This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. I'm Howard Chang, a professor in the Stanford University in California and investigator of the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Today I'll be talking to you in three-part talks about epigenomics and long non-coding RNAs. Epigenetics is a very hot topic today. The word literally means above the genes. And you can remember the catchphrase that your DNA is not your destiny. And a very good example of this is that nearly every cell in your body has the same DNA. Yet your skin cell is not the same as your muscle cell or your brain cell. And that is because these cells have choices. Choices about which genes to turn on and off. And this comprehensive study of these gene regulatory events is the modern study of epigenomics. Literally, we can think about epigenomics as studying the living genome. This field has evolved so that we can now directly measure these activities, but it has important implications because it has the dynamics of the interaction between nature and nurture, what you're born with, and the impact of your environment. As such, this may have important implications for your personalized health, for example, in clinical applications and also monitoring health states. Here's another potentially useful analogy to think about the relationship between your DNA, your genome, your epigenome, and the involvement in potential disease states. We can imagine that your genes are like this template information, like this image, and the epigenome as the lens through which the information is projected to show this beautiful image. With aging and or with disease, this template get degraded, and the lens may become cloudy. So this image is now blurred. The promise of epigenetics is that perhaps we can actually fix the situation. Even if the genome information is still somewhat degraded, the lens, the epigenome through which this information projects, can be corrected. And in such a way, like the glasses I'm wearing, to actually restore this image and basically restore uh, the phenotype we associate with a healthful state. That is the conceptual promise. Another reason for the excitement for epigenomics is because the technology is really at an inflection point. In every field, technologies go through different phases of discovery, detection, and systematic decoding. In the field of genomics, the hardware of the DNA in our cells, we discovered the structure of DNA in the 1950s. The first technology to detect or sequence uh, DNA occurred in the 70s, but it's only in the last decade or so that we have really next-generation sequencing technology to make routine genome sequencing a possibility. Epigenomics is also going through a related kind of uh, revolution. And we can think about the epigenomics now as the counterpart, the software programming of our cells. So the first chemical marks associated with uh, epigenetic memory were discovered in the 50s. Some of the first methods to detect uh, these uh, marks in a laboratory setting were developed in the 80s. And I'll be telling you about some new technology that developed, were developed in the last decade that really sped up the capacity to systematically decode this epigenomic information. Let's zoom in to the specific features in the genome that we're talking about. When we think about genes, specifically disease-associated genes, 
we have to remember that each of these genes are associated with switches, DNA regulatory elements that decide when and where this gene turns on and off. These DNA elements are the binding sites for transacting protein transcription factors or regulatory RNAs. The picture in the human genome actually looks more like the bottom, where only just 2% of the information is protein coding. And the vast amount of the real estate, 98%, is actually part of this regulatory DNA. We also know that most of the human variants associated with disease reside in this non-coding space. So systematic work over the last several decades by many investigators have found that uh, all this DNA is packed into chromatin. And I'll refer you to the iBiology talk by David Alice, which goes into great depth about these different chemical marks. But the end conclusion is really that each part of the gene has characteristic chemical and physical features on chromatin, and that these features reflect the current activity and the future trajectory of the genes. And we can... And the epigenomic technologies I'm talking about basically uh, is the systematic mapping of these chromatin features across the genome. So this cartoon shows the fact that if there's a, a protein-coding gene here, that there'd be promoters. That's where the gene starts. There are DNA elements, like enhancers, that activate this gene in specific cell types. Uh, there are additional DNA elements that might prevent this gene from being activated in a different situation. And there are also, for example, insulators, things that basically break up genomes into neighborhoods of control.
single cell information, you can zoom in. And now every row is a single cell. There are 254 single cells going down this way. And at every position here, every, uh, you, you basically see either zero, one, or two reads because human cells are diploid. And therefore, this kind of analog signal can turn into digital information. When we see these individual peaks, we of course want to know what are the factors that are acting on these individual gene switches. And there's another very interesting feature of the attack-seek signal that we can exploit. We learn that many times, at the summit of every peak, there's an approximately 8 to 10 basis of a dip. Uh, this is called a footprint. Okay, so this is an example of an attack-seek signal. And this is exactly the binding site of a DNA binding factor on uh, to DNA. So the idea is that we're essentially spray painting the genome with our ataxic enzyme. And if, it, if, a, if a protein is sitting on the DNA, you can spray paint to the left of it or to the right of it, but not on top of it. And so if I were putting my hand in front of a wall and I spray paint it, when I move my hand away, you'll see a shadow. It shows that an object was there. That is the kind of similar principle. And so you can see that if we directly retrieve this particular factor called CTCF, this is the location where the CTCF is sitting, and the footprint of the CTCF on ataxic data looks very similar. An important concept is that the epigenome encodes information of cell type identity. Here on this map, I'm showing you six tracks, six different cell types from the blood, starting from the hematopoietic stem cell, 
the HSC, to cells that make different lineages, myeloid cells, white cells, red, uh, MEP, which makes red cells, and specific kinds of immune cells, CD8 T cells and NK cells. On the right, you can see that for this particular gene, TET2, the messenger RNA level varies by less than twofold across these different cell types. So you might think that TET2 is not a very good marker for different cell type identities. But if you look at the chromatin landscape, now you see a completely different picture, which is shown on the left. So you can see that the TET2 promoter, it's accessible in all these different cell types. But then you see that progenitor cells have one set of accessible elements, and further elements distinguish, let's say, uh, lymphoid cells and specific kinds of cells, such as CD8 cells and NK cells. So the message here is that each of these uh, cell types, they're making the same, turning on the same gene, making the same RNA. But they're doing it with different gene switches. And these switches then tell us the identity of cells that are involved. This particular concept can be particularly powerful when we think about the problem of cancer.
all the cancers. The Cancer Genome Atlas uh, has been a major effort for the cancer community over the last decade. And many investigators have systematically collected uh, nearly 10,000 tumor samples and sequenced their genome, sequenced their RNA. But until very recently, we didn't have any, any information on the uh, epigenome landscape. We teamed up uh, with the TCGA group, and we were able to use a taxi technology to map the chromatin landscape in 23 human cancer types, which are shown here on the right. And these span some of the most common and deadly human cancers, including glioblastoma, lung cancer, breast cancer, uh, colon cancer, and so on and so forth. We studied 410 tumors, and we discovered uh, over half a million DNA elements that are active in these diverse cancer types. What is very intriguing is that we found that nearly half of these elements are not active uh, in our surveys of normal tissues. They're only activated in the context, in the pathology of cancer. We can learn several in- really intriguing uh, results.
and sequences. Each bead contains a different sequence, and that's the barcode. And so when an individual nucleus meets an individual barcode, we can transfer the information from the barcode onto the nucleus. And that says that all the molecules in that little drop came from the same cell. Once we have tagged all these uh, individual drops, we can then break the drops and then sequence all the uh, uh, molecules together. Uh, but then we retain information that they came originally from different cells. So this technology allowed us to scale up the, the, the throughput of single-cell epigenomics from, uh, let's say, several hundred cells uh, per uh, assay to now tens of thousands of cells, or perhaps even more, uh, in a single experiment. We were able to recently uh, team up with colleagues at Stanford University to use this technology to look at a very important aspect of cancer treatment called cancer immunotherapy. Uh, the poster trial of cancer immunotherapy is an antibody called uh, PD-1. Uh, it's called checkpoint blockade because it releases the breaks that are on the immune system for fighting against cancer. And so in this kind of work, people are really interested in what kind of immune cells are coming in to fight cancer and how do they change in the progress of cancer treatment. Uh, and the challenges are that, again, uh, we're talking about clinical material biopsies from patients that are tiny, and you have one shot to get it right, uh, and because you can't just go back and, and keep asking the person to do surgery. So in the context of a clinical trial uh, for a kind of cancer called basal cell carcinoma, we're able to serially biopsy the same tumor before, during, and after treatment, and then subject them to this very powerful single-cell epigenome. We've been talking about individual DNA elements and how we can use that to learn about the epigenome. An equally important challenge is linking these DNA elements to their target genes.
action or it's a stronger enhancer or combination of both. And so this viewpoint told us that in this particular cell type we're studying, this MIC gene is being contacted and turned on by these peaks, these five peaks that are shown here. So how do we know that is correct? It turns out that a recent study by Falco et al. and colleagues, they actually went in and systematically tried to block every piece of DNA uh, in this entire interval, okay? whether it's known to be active or not. And they found five elements shown on the bottom here, okay, in, in red hatch marks, and they exactly line up with the locations that were identified by this uh, enhancer connectome study, showing that this information is actually accurate. Uh, now that we know that information is perhaps useful, we can think about applying it for solving questions in human genetics. For example, in this map of immune cells, T cells, we know that there are DNA elements being associated by genome-wide association studies with diseases like type 1 diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis. So what is the target gene? The nearest gene is this gene at the bottom shown in the green called SMIM20. It's not a gene that has really any known relationship to immunology. But in this enhancer connectome map, we discover that if you start from the
uh, being impacted. We use this technology to perturb
Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's top scientists. Funding is provided by the National Science Foundation and the National Institute of General Medical Sciences.